prayer. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you have not left us in this world alone. You care for us, and Father, we pray, we uh, claim the promise now. When Jesus was here, he said, if you pray for the Holy Spirit, I will send you the Holy Spirit. So Father, we claim that promise now. Teach us and, and uh, draw close to us, and Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to encourage one another in a time where there is a lot of discouragement, in a time when people seem to feed on bad news. Father, help us to see the good news, the excitement, and the climax of the plan of redemption where Jesus is coming back soon to take us home. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Naomi and I grew up in an, were born and raised in an Amish family. We grew up on a dairy farm. We were actually neighbors growing up. We went to school together. Naomi was a part of a family of 11, and I was a part of a family of 8. My mother was part of a family of 17. Her mother had 17 children in a little less than 18 years. I would tell you to still pray for her, but she's sleeping in her grave, so it won't do any good. She was a loving, very loving grandmother. When my grandparents died in their 80s, all of their 17 children were still there with their original spouses. They were all married and had families. So I have on my mother's side, I have about 180 first cousins. On my father's side, my dad was part of a family of 14. <clears throat> when my dad's father uh, passed away, well, let me back up a little bit. So my when my dad was nine years old, his father died. And when my dad was 15, his mother got married to another widower who also had 14 children. So together, they had 28 children. Now, I don't think that that is where the idea, where Walmart started, but I, I'm, I'm told that their basement looked a little bit like a supermarket in the, at the end of the year, at the, in the fall. <clears throat> So we are part of a very large family. My great-grandma just passed away here a couple of years ago, a couple months ago. She, her, she was 100 years old, which is very uncommon for the Amish. Usually they don't get as old because of dietary issues and they, they work themselves to death. She was 100 years old. Twelve of her children were still alive. And I... I I did a couple of presentations before and I said she had a 950 great-grandchildren, but I was wrong. She had only 830 great-grandchildren. So talk about raising a little village. She could have been a mayor of that little village. Everybody would have voted for her, I'm sure of that. <clears throat> she was my great-grandmother. Naomi and I grew up in the country. We raised the corn that made up our corn mush for breakfast. We raised the wheat that made up our pancakes. We uh, milked our own cows. We churned our own butter. We knew all about country living. We even knew what it is like to work in the garden with your mother, one acre garden with your mother and your mean siblings day after day after day. And I just couldn't wait until I grow up and no more gardens. We're going to buy our food. But my children are experiencing what I experience now. I told, I told my children last week, I said, if you think I'm hard on you, I said, when you, when you grow up and you have a family, you'll be just like me because you will appreciate 
that you had a country life. Even though we had all these great things, there was something missing. We, we knew all about country living, dress reform, and all of that, but we didn't know how to get to heaven. And sometimes there's something missing in your life and you don't even know it until you find it. It's like, wow, I've been seeking for this. <clears throat> Naomi and I went to school together and we, we, it was a one-room one school, grade one through eight. And this is where we were taught how to speak English. This is the schoolhouse, how to speak English and to speak German. Because we needed to learn English in order to associate with people around us, like you, and German for, to read our Bibles, because our church services were in German. So this little schoolhouse, can we go back to the schoolhouse for a little bit? <clears throat> This little school, schoolhouse, I tell people that this is the Schwarzenegger Amish Ohio State University. Now, it may, it may be a humble building, but I will assure you a lot of great memories are made in there. So Naomi and I went to school there. Thank you. After we graduated from school, we, spent, we worked in our parents' dairy farms because in the Amish, you work for your family as long, until you're 21 years old. So all the income that I made went toward supporting my family. The same was true for Naomi. And then after we turned 21 year old, years old, we were uh, on our own. So I'm still talking to my children about that. I say, well, I did that for my parents. If you did that for me, I could have a great retirement. But we'll see. They're being introduced to some different ideas these days. So <clears throat> for those of you that disagree with me that children should work until they're 21, please don't talk to our children about that. So. <clears throat> In fact, if you see them, tell them it's a great idea. You will always be glad you support your parents. Since Paul told Timothy that he must continue the things, or he should continue the things where he was, how he was taught, we were taught that this was the basis of religion. If you were born Amish, you stay Amish. If you were born Muslim, you stay Muslim, and so on. That is how we interpreted that. That, that is why the Amish are traditionalists. So you just try to never change. Never change your dress and you know if the cars cars come and go and you know we looked at cars as a worldly thing. I remember my brother got hurt when I was young. I was probably about 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. And he got hurt on the farm, went to a hospital for 2 weeks and our neighbor offered us to take us to the hospital to see our brother in his car. And I was excited about that because I didn't know what it was like to drive in a, to ride in a car. So he came and picked us up. I got in the car and we started going down the road faster and faster and we were flying. We, we went around this curve and we were flying. I thought, this is great. I looked over and we were going 35 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but our, the problem was our lifestyle was great. But the lifestyle, we, we can have... We can live in the country, we can have all, wear all the right stuff and everything, we can have everything right. But if we don't have Jesus, we're still, there's only one, two, one of destiny that we're going to reach. We're going to either be lost or we're going to be saved. So we had, all the, we had the lifestyle, but the problem was the lifestyle over, over the past 125 years, the lifestyle became, started becoming a religion. And today, if you just forsake the Amish lifestyle, you will end up being shunned because you have actually forsook 
forsaken the, uh, the religion. Even, and so Amish, are, they're Christian people. They read their Bibles, but corporate Bible studies or even personal Bible studies are not encouraged. Um, they read the Bibles a lot and they get acquainted with the Bible. But it's amazing. Like my dad was a bishop. He memorized enough scripture to preach. He could have preached five hours without, without the Bible, just quoting scripture. But the man did not understand the plan of salvation. He did not get it. It was a book, another book to him. To him it was a sacred book. But he did not understand the, uh, the value of you know, the content of the Bible, that it's transforming. It's the Word of God. It's the living Word of God. My dad did not understand that. We were taught that praying from the heart was carnal-minded, so we, we prayed from books. Our, we, we had prayer books that were written by our early Anabaptist forefathers. The prayers are fantastic. I, I could not improve on the prayers. They were really good prayers. However, they became very formal because you read the same prayer every morning and another prayer every night. And so we, may have, we had to make our, you know, when we uh, did something against the church, we had to come to church and make a confession to the to leaders of the church and then go through the church and everything. And there was a constant flow of people confessing that they pray without thinking about God because they were praying from a book. This was a routine. After doing that prayer for a couple of months, you know it in your mind. And you just get, get on your knees and do your thing and you're done. And so, but with that being said, even though the Amish community, there's, they, have, they have struggles when it comes to spirituality. They have a very high retention rate. Their retention rate is still in the 90s, I believe. Especially those that are more strict, their retention rate is higher because their young people are not introduced to the world so much. And so their retention rate was still high. And to resist the, the, to resist the authority of the church was unacceptable. If you resist the authority of the church, you will end up being shunned. To live a different lifestyle, to me, was unimaginable. To leave the community, uh, community was unthinkable. The pain that the parents experienced when somebody left, their, ch their child left the church, was unbelievable. The parents, some, some of them ended up becoming sick and literally dying. They, the heartache was so, so bad because they believe their child has fallen away from God and is going to be tortured in hell for all eternity. That's what they believe, and they staunchly believe that. And it's true that this will drive a person to insanity. I have seen it. <clears throat> Our parents were loving parents. They were good people. And they, were, they did not enforce, they did not make up a religion and impose it upon their children. They just simply handed down to us what was handed down to them. A lot of the Amish people, they would take their shirt off of their back to help people. They're very honest people, but they're traditionalists. And they see the wicked world around them. They have no interest in being converted to the world. And so they become very close <coughs> to um, receiving literature or, or, or um, even studying the Bible with, with people that... Um, that desire to study the Bible with them. <clears throat> after we got married, after we were baptized when we were 18 years old, um, we got married a few years later, and we were excited to raise our own family. Uh, my mother had 17, my one, one gra grandmother had 17, my other grandmother had, had uh, 15, one of them died. And so we were excited, like, this is, we're going to be this Amish couple, and we're going to have I don't know, 12, 15, maybe 18 children. My aunt had 19. 
Well, the day that our first child was born, we, we wondered why anybody ever had children. And our perspective changed. But being Amish, we kept on having children. And today we have eight children, and we're grateful for that. We love our children, and we wouldn't have any less. <clears throat> Not long after we got married, Naomi told me that she was dealing with some health struggles. She had a hiatal hernia. She had lost her dad when she was on her 18th birthday, 19th birthday, and she had a hard time dealing with that. You know, if, if, you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you lo lose a loved one, you can deal with heartache like that. But if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how sincere you are, there is something, you know, you need God to work, work through those issues. And she didn't have that. She didn't have a personal relationship with God. We perceived God, we thought God was like our bishop. You know, he rarely smiled. He was a very stern guy. He was, you know, he was, he was a good guy, but don't tread on his toes because he will get you back. That's the way we view God. We didn't look at him as a friendly, loving God. And so Naomi was said she was, ha she, she was ha having a constant headache and she felt sluggish and I knew it. She, she had a, some, some depression issues. And during this time, there was a lot of illness going around in uh, sickness, diseases in the Amish community like uh, heart disease and, and cancer. And this terrified me. I thought if... If I lose Naomi, because, you know, if you're like me, when you, when you hear bad news, you assume the worst. You know, you start with assuming the worst, and you start coming back down. And I thought, this is terrible. I, I might be losing my wife. So I was terrified. So we started reading. We just started reading, like, anything on health that we could find on. And some of those books that we were reading were actually, you know, there were an element of spirituality in it. And... This opened our mind, our desperation for help for, with her health, this opened our mind to truth. One day, my brother, I met my brother, and he said, Andy, I bought this book, and he said, everybody needs this book. He said, it'll transform your life. It was, a, it was called The Martyr's Mirror, and this book... It's a compilation of the Anabaptist people, like the minutes that, you know, when they had debates between them and their persecutors and letters that they wrote to their, their family, etc. And I read this book, and I, and I was introduced to the idea of righteousness by faith. I thought only people that were indifferent, only people that were not conscious of, of uh, of uh, self-conscious or did not care about God. I thought only the liberals believed in righteousness by faith. Only the people that were indifferent about religion. And I was astonished, and they gave scripture for it, that, that our salvation is in Christ. And so I started becoming very interested in this. Not long after this, a Seventh-day Adventist couple moved into our community, and they shared with me and my brother the eight laws of health. I was very intrigued by that. I thought it makes so much sense. Nutrition, you actually feed your body. We didn't know that. Exercise, well, we had no problem with exercise because we were committed to the sacred sacrament of work. We, water, I could have improved on water and maybe dropped down with coffee a little bit. Sunshine, I was getting plenty of that. Temperance, well, I had no temperance. Fresh air, I was getting plenty of that. Rest, not enough rest. And I, I was so intrigued. I could, could take you back and show the spot where I was standing when he told me that. I thought, that makes so much sense. The eight laws of health, and I thought to myself, and it's free. 
It doesn't cost anything. So a little while later, my, my uh, nephew ended up in the hospital. So we had our Adventist friend take us to the hospital, my brother and I, to visit our nephew. And you know, I, during this time, I had real questions on if God is an all-loving God, why, doesn't, why does he allow so much suffering? If he's all-powerful, why don't you just zap the devil and this is all over? Just kill the devil. I mean, if I had the opportunity, I would kill him. And why would God kill him? I had all these questions. Sometimes it made me angry at God. But as we drove to the hospital that day, this Adventist guy started sharing what we know as the great controversy. Why, why these things occur? Why does not, doesn't God kill Satan now? Why do bad things happen to good people? All those things that I really wondered about. And I was like, this is fabulous stuff. And when we came back, he gave me a book called The Great Controversy. And I looked through these books, but since I you know, started reading in the front, but since I had read so much history uh, through the martyr's mirror, I kind of got bogged down with it. And so he came back to my house one time, and I looked back, and he was enjoying every bit of it because he, he knew that he found an honest seeker, and you know, we all like to find those. And so when he came back, he said, so how are you doing on the book? And I said, well, I'm not really reading it. And so he said, well, here's another book. So he gave me The Desire of Ages. And this is where the rubber met the road. This, these were, this is where I wanted to, um, this is what I was looking for. An understanding, a balanced understanding of righteousness by faith. By this time, I was following, you know, like other denominations, their teachings on righteousness by faith, and I was confused. It seems like part of the Bible was being left out. Great teaching on justification by faith. But how about sanctification? Doesn't God want to change our lives? And reading the Desire of Ages, I was greatly intrigued. One night I was sitting in my house, a family went to bed, and I was sitting beside my stove, and I thought, I need to check this book out. And this is what I read. We'll see if they can pop it up. <clears throat> I started with uh, Desire of Ages, um, chapter 1. And it says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. From the days of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ was one with the Father. He was the image of God, the image of his greatness and majesty, the outshining of his glory. It was to manifest this glory that he came to this world, to this sin-darkened earth he came to reveal the light of God's love, to be God with us. Therefore, it was prophesied unto him, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And I thought, so maybe this explains. I always wondered why, why the Bible doesn't make up its mind. Is, was Jesus the son of God or was he the son of man? It just didn't make, didn't make any sense to me. Next one. So what I, would, I would read this and I thought, that's really deep. And I laid the book down and walked around my house and went back, got the book and read another one. The angels of glory find their joy in giving, giving love and tireless watch care to souls that are fallen and unholy. Heavenly beings woo the hearts of men. They bring to this world light from the courts above. The gentle and patient ministry, by gentle and patient ministry, they move upon the human spirit to bring the lost into a fellowship with Christ, which is even closer than they themselves can know. And I thought, that makes sense. They were never lost like we were. So we were lost, and now we have found Christ. We have been redeemed. So it makes sense that we can actually experience a closeness with God that not even the angels can, can experience. And it also became so real to me that angels are real. They woo the human spirit. And I could, I, could, I, th I could think about this and say, that's true. 
I know, I can recognize that somebody was wooing me, like God was wooing me in a certain direction. Next one. This gets better. This, uh, this chapter blew my mind away. Since Jesus came to dwell with us, we know that God is acquainted with our trials and sympathizes with our griefs. Every son and daughter of Adam may understand that our Creator is the friend of sinners. For in every doctrine of grace, every promise of joy, and every deed of love, every divine attraction presented in His Savior's life on earth, we see God with us. And I would lay the book down and walk around my house and say, this is fantastic stuff. This is relevant even to an Amish man. Next one. This one blew my mind. This is, this is gigantic. By his humanity, Christ touched humanity. And by his divinity, he lays hold upon the throne of God. That is fabulous. So you have God, you have the Jacob's ladder. God has one hand with humanity, another hand on the throne of God. I want to be in that group. I was just blown away. This next one. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we may be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, so that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes we are healing. Is that what it says? No, we are healed. I thought, that's fabulous. Maybe I can have assurance of salvation even today. That's great. Next one. This one was the topper. This is the icing on the cake. This is still my favorite text in the, great, in the spirit of prophecy. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same to the highest heaven. That is mind-boggling. God has adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same to the highest heaven. It is the Son of Man who shares the throne of the universe. It is the Son of Man whose name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Who says that Jesus wasn't God? This is so clear from the Bible. And I was blown away. Blown away. This is another good one. The work of redemption will be complete. In the place where sin abounded, God's grace much more abounds. I thought, that makes sense. I always wondered why Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't want to inherit this earth. I'm not interested. I want to go to heaven. But this explains that. The work of redemption will be complete. In the place where sin abounded, God's grace much more abounds. The earth itself, the very field that Satan claims as his own, is to be not only ransom, but exalted. Our little world, under the curse of sin, the one dark blot in this glorious creation, will be honored above all other worlds in the universe of God. Here, where the Son of God tabernacled with humanity, where the King of glory lived and suffered and died. Here, when he shall make all things new, the tabernacle of God shall be with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And through endless ages, as the redeemed walk with the, in the light of the Lord, they will praise him for his unspeakable gift, Emmanuel, God with us. I tell you what, false prophets don't write things like that. Who can read the spirit of prophecy and say, ah, I don't want that? If you're led by, you know, these writings were, were inspired by the Holy Spirit. If we're being led by the Holy Spirit, there has to be a connection. My friend came back and he says, so have you been reading the Desire of Ages? I says, yeah, you better believe it. I've been reading the Desire of Ages. And I said, it's fabulous. I said, where does this man live? I want to meet him. 
I have read a lot of books. I have ne never read anything like this. This inspired me to read my Bible. Totally inspired me to read my Bible. And he knew, you know, knowing that I was an Amish guy and Amish people don't like when the ladies teach them, he said, well, um, it was actually a lady and she's dead a hundred years. And I thought, what, a lady writes like that? I don't know about that. Might have to reconsider this. But I couldn't. Yeah, I already had the, all the evidence in my mind. I couldn't go back. It's like, what do you do? Maybe I have to be open-minded. Maybe God inspires whomever he wants to inspire. And so I was intrigued. Then I went to, um, I think it's a chapter 3 of Desire of Ages, and I found my people in there. This is talking about during the time when Jesus came to this world the first time and the condition of the world during this time. And if you want to know the condition of the Amish people these days, these days, Amish communities, and this is true for all communities, this is it. At this time, the systems of heathenism were losing their hold upon the people. Men were weary of passion and fable. They longed for a religion that could satisfy the heart. While the light of truth seemed to have departed from among men, there were souls who were looking for light and who were filled with perplexity and sorrow. They were thirsting for a knowledge of the living God, for some assurance of life beyond the grave. That is true for my people. These people are good fundamental people. These people are probably some of the best people in, in our country. Honest people, hardworking people. But sometimes we get so busy building the devil's kingdom that we don't, we don't work our own salvation. We don't even find Jesus. And I believe this is true for the Amish people. The leadership, they come together and they discuss church issues and, you know, rules that need to be made and, you know, people are wandering and everything. Those people are willing, they're willing to be led. They want to be led by God. But they are so busy, they're so sidetracked, so distracted with their man-made rules, with the externals, that they never have time, they never reach the heart. Even though they're honest people, they are sincere people. And, you know, we see it everywhere. We can be so distracted, you know, like, I would like for you all to start dressing like Amish people. I like that. But, you know, we could get distracted by that, you know. God looks at the heart. And I don't believe that the way I dress is any better than the way you dress. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a preference because we were born and raised that way. But we can get hung up with that instead of getting hung up with Jesus, Christ and Him crucified. And that's what happened with my people. They're good people, but they have become distracted with things that are irrelevant in, in life. And so we struggled with this for a, for a couple years, and eventually I burned all my books, my Great Controversy book, my Desire of Ages, the Steps of Christ, I just burned it, and I thought, you know, if, I, if we step out, what will happen is we will be shunned by our own mother and fathers and, and siblings and our 500 first cousins and everything. Like, this, the, the stakes are too high. We, we burned everything trying to get away from it. And we went to church and tried to forget the things we know. But you sit in church and you hear a preacher preaching something. He's sincere, but you're thinking to your, yourself, that is not true. That is, that is the wrong interpretation of that scripture. And sometimes it makes God look very cruel. 
And so you sit there, you sit there, you know, Sunday after Sunday, and you're listening to these sermons, and eventually it's like, I can't take it anymore. I love the people, but there is something to be said for separation. God, God says, come out of her, my people. And so God, God showed me for a few years the alternative to accepting truth and following truth and giving our, you know, giving our lives wholly to truth. The alternative is stay where you are, be depressed, wish you could die, and hate, hate the church that you go to. That's the alternative. And there was times that I, I became suicidal. I mean, I would pray and I'd say, Lord, if I go down the road this morning in my bucky, just let an 18-wheeler run me over. I don't want to live. I don't want to run my, you know, to, to uh, have my parents go through all the grief and heartache of me leaving the church. So if you, just, if you just let me die, then everything will be good. I think I'm safe. I'm not sure, but I just know that I, I don't want to live. And so <clears throat> we struggled with this for a while. One day I was standing in my workshop. And I built furniture, and I was standing there, and I'm like, I can't work. I'm so dis distressed and depressed, I can't work. And I thought, I, I just wish I could do something to change life. And then I remembered that I had a great controversy book in my barn that I was going to give to my friend. And I missed that one when I, when I threw, threw the rest of them out. And so I went, I got the book, and I, I went back to my workshop and stood beside the stove, and I opened it up, and I started reading in the chapter where it says, that when the last message goes out, children will be disowned by their parents, and parents will be turned in by their children, and all these things. And I and I kept reading, and I went got to Martin Luther's um, chapter, where Martin Luther said, you know, I will go from this city to that city, even if the the fire is as high as the the, the skies. I will go if God calls me. I will go. And at that day, I told God, I said, I'm coming. You open up the way you lead me. I don't know how this is going to work out. I just know that it's not pretty, but I know that the end result is great. I want to serve the Lord. And so I spoke with my wife, and, we, and my wife said, you know what, we have to do, we have to follow our convictions. And so we spoke with our, our um, the leaders of our church, and if you come down to our booth at the exhibit hall, um, I wrote a book, a life story. I'm just going through it real fast. Um, we have a book there that's available with more of our full testimony. Also, the, uh, the uh, that book I was talking about, The Martyr's Mirror, we have it on display, so if you want to come and take a look at it. But uh, we told them, we said, look, we don't believe that we should shun people just because they go to church somewhere else. I don't read that from the Bible. And they said, well, if you don't want to shun people, those people, we'll have to shun you. And I said, well, you do what you want to do. I've got to have a clear conscience. And so this led to our excommunication. And a few years later, we... Uh, Few, about a year later, we were actually baptized and became members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we, have, we were excited when we came, went down to the water, into the water. We were excited when we came back. And we were excited ever since. We tasted ministry, and we were excited about truth because we know what it is like to be confused. And to, to, to finding freedom in Christ makes life worth living. To finding your calling in life makes life worth living. And so we are very excited to be part of this movement, and we, are, we love each one of you as our own brethren, and we are grateful that God has called us to this marvelous movement. Soon after we got married, some of our friends came by, and they said, so Andy, what do you want to do with your life? I, see, I hear you have, a, you have a burden on your heart, and I said, I do. I said, I found this fabulous truth. You know, we started uh, reading material before, you know, when we were studying 
uh, from Whitehorse Media and Amazing Facts. And like, we were learning this fabulous truth. And I said, I want my people to know about this truth. It's relevant for everybody. But how do you reach Amish people? You can't you throw up, you know, a tent and have an evangelistic meeting uh, or a prophecy meeting. They won't show up. And so what we are learning is God is reaching those people to see, you know, seeds being planted through coal porters and other means. But God is reaching those people. Uh, those people are, God is inspiring them. And so our friends, they went and they uh, invested in a property that has, it was 10 acres that was close by. And it's amazing. This is real close by where my parents live, just behind the woods. I used to work on, the, on that place. There was 10 acres. It was phantom fireworks at one time. And so we purchased this property. And this is the building where we're meeting in currently. And I thought, well, this is where our little congregation will meet. It'll take a long time before anybody responds to us because we, you know, when we first found the truth, we started sharing with everybody. It's like, everybody's going to love this. It's going to transform the, the Amish community. But we were surprised. Not everybody's excited about the truth. And for every, anybody that is in ministry, you know that everybody's excited about the truth. But sometimes people are not ready yet, but they will be ready. So we need to always treat people as if, well, they're not ready yet. But the seed is planted and you let the Holy Spirit do its work. And so we started, we started um, um, meeting in here on Sabbath and back in 2015. Today this building is crowded. We're very full. Um, numerous Amish families have followed us and, and um, um, are um, meeting there each Sabbath. The next picture is the picture of the fireworks store. It was Phantom Fireworks. We uh, started looking at the building and we said, well, I said... Maybe on this end of that building, we can put a bathroom in. And the other end of that building, we can put a kitchen in. And we'll have church service in there. We'll have more room. We got together. We started pushing pencil. Like, well, we have to go a little bigger and have a little addition. And this way, it kept going on until we had a, a big addition. And we're about to move into it. Let's do the next picture. So we renovated that building. And this is what it looks like. This is our new building. And another month or so, we'll be in it. This is, we have about 35 young people that are 14 year old, years old and down in our community, in our church community there. And so this is where we want to bring Mark Finley and all the good evangelists we have to train our young people to be missionaries and to be excited about the Lord. And so if you come down, uh, meet us at our booth, we have, we have more information down there on that. But, um, so thank you for each one of you that have supported us with your prayers and finances. We really appreciate that because we could never have pulled this off on our own. And so today we are a little thriving group, you know, in West Salem, Ohio. We are a little mission with a big vision. We are excited about uh, being part of God's end time movement, God's last day message to the world. You know, when we, when we get to heaven, we're all excited. We want to meet David and, and Isaiah and those people that wrote, you know, all the great stories in the Bible. But I believe when we get there, they're going to be looking for the people at the end of time. They, would, they wanted to live in our time. We, we are privileged. It's true that we have all these distractions and there are so many things in this world that want to bring us down. But if we can find our calling and God will lead us and he will provide for us, that's what's happening for us. I, could, I never saw this happening. But God is working and God is working among the plain people. And I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I know he is because it's true that the three angels' messages is going to all the world, including the Amish people. I hope when we get to heaven, there's going to be a little corner reserve where we as Amish people gather and sing our German songs. 
I wonder if we're going to sing those songs. So I'm excited about that. And so thank you for supporting us. And I want to appeal to each one of you, don't give up. We need the endurance of the saints. When we get to heaven, it'll be cheap enough. Being in ministry here on earth is great. It makes life, you know, we can breathe the atmosphere of heaven. If we know that we are in the will of God, that is good enough. And we can, we can experience the excitement of working along with Jesus. And so thank you for taking time to come out and for your support to us and come see us at our booth. We appreciate that. So let us bow our heads and have a brief word of prayer and we'll let you go. Father in heaven, we're grateful. You have called us from darkness to your marvelous light. Even those that are fourth generation Adventists, this is a relevant message. It is still a message that have, has to be chosen by, you know, accepted by each individual, accepted or rejected. Father, help us to be excited about your truth. Father, help us to eat your word so that we get the nutrition that makes us thrive and excited and that makes us grow like trees and bear fruit, not to secure our salvation, but to be a blessing to this world. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.